Um, we're going to pick up here in the middle of chapter 15, uh, the Jerusalem Council. And just a quick orientation for those of you who maybe weren't here last week. Uh, where John uh, took us is that this council was convened in the city of Jerusalem due to uh, tensions that were arising as the Jewish and Gentile worlds were colliding uh, after Jesus in this new covenant age. And uh, the message of the gospel, salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, and, and yet there were some of the, the Jewish, uh, Jewish backgrounds who were coming and still saying, no, we still think that there are aspects of the law that you need to hold on to in order to be accepted by, uh, by God, in order to truly be saved. And, and as you can imagine, this caused a great bit of, um, of um, conflict in Antioch and distress even. And uh, Paul came out swinging, because Paul was certainly a defender of the gospel by grace alone through faith alone. And so this council was convened in Jerusalem to address this conflict and address this tension. And John did a great job last week of orienting us towards that, and we'll unpack that a little bit more. Uh, Today, what we're going to go through is the letter that Jerusalem sent to Antioch, clarifying this issue. And that's where we're going to be at today. So I want to just give you a little bit of orientation and background. And that's where we're at. So I'm going to pick up here in verse 22. This is after the council had met and uh, determined their course of action. And now they are sending a letter to Antioch to communicate their decisions and what they had found. So verse 22, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church, again, this is the church of Jerusalem, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, in Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, Unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements." that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. God, we do pray that you take your words today. These words penned hundreds of of years ago, two thousands of years ago, God. Under the inspiration of your spirit and impress them on our hearts. And that you would do the work that needs to be done in our hearts, that you would have us hear what needs to be heard, God. If it's a word of encouragement, may that be. Uh, If it's a word of correction, may that be. 
whatever is necessary, whatever we need to hear, God, for the building up of the church, that we'd be better equipped to leave here today serving you well and functioning well as the people of God in this world. God, as always, we pray this solely for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the sake of his kingdom, to make him known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Brazil trip several years ago we were on, and um, we do a couple things when we go to Brazil with our students. We, uh, we, we do work at the camp, maintenance, things like that, dishes, and then we also uh, focus on the relational aspect, of our building relationships with our students and the, the campers and the staff, and, and so those are kind of the two main components of the trip. And this one trip in particular, we kind of had our list of things that we were supposed to be doing and, and wanted to accomplish. And I don't even remember what the situation was or, or what, but it ended up where uh, we weren't quite getting through the tasks as, as, as quickly as possible. And Dan, our students were, were doing some other things with some of the, uh, the campers or counselors or whatever it was. And I remember just being a little bit uptight about this which is odd for me. I'm not the task-oriented one in the family. But I was, I was like, oh, we got to get this done, we got to get this done. And, and, uh, and Dan could tell that I was a little uh, annoyed and, and, and frustrated. And so he, uh, he, he takes me. And I remember he, he looks at me as Dan can do. And he's like, Craig, people first. People first. We don't get any of this other stuff done. That's fine. People first. And this last trip, just a year ago, uh, it, it played out again. I, I wasn't. I learned. I wasn't going to make a big deal about it. But I remember halfway through the first week there, Dan comes to me and he said, "Craig, hey, listen." He said, "This team is doing such a good job of connecting. They've been such a blessing to the campers in the city." He goes, "Let's just forget the rest of the list. I'm not even. I don't even care. Let's, this is more important, right? Because people first. The main thing. We, we keep this the main thing in focus, and everything else just comes." below that. But keep your focus on the main thing, right? And we know as the church, as the people of God, the main thing is the gospel. The main thing. People knowing the good news of Jesus Christ, making him known. That's it. That's the main thing. And everything else is subservient to that. Everything else comes under that. The main thing. And that is the point here in Acts 15. The gospel as the main theme. John did a good job last week of of explaining this to us. At this point in the book of Acts, Luke's theme and purpose is gospel expansion. Here in Acts 15, we encounter the official and formal ruling, uh, recognition and affirmation of the Gentile mission. This is the central section of the book. It doesn't necessarily appear so because, you know, it's, it's chapter 15 and there's only 20-something chapters, 22 chapters in Acts, and so it's like, it's not the middle of the book, but actually commentators will point out if you do a word count in the book of Acts, Acts 1 through 14 and Acts 15 through the end of the book basically are within about 100 words when it comes to word count. So this is the theological and narrative center of the book of Acts. Gospel expansion, the validation of the Gentile mission. The question about Gentiles' inclusion and the salvation of Gentiles has been settled here by this official declaration. I know this can be lost on on some of you, but I know there are some Mandalorian fans in here, right? Um, How do you pronounce this guy's name? Uh, Quill. It's spelled K-U-I-I-L. That's Quill. So, for those of you who are curious. 
Quill, and in Quill, he has this one line he says over and over again. He'll make a statement, or he'll say, this is what we're going to do. And sometimes, even if the Mandalorian kind of questions it or whatever, he always says, I have spoken. I have spoken. I tried this in my house. <laughs> it works great. Right, Maggie Zagam? I have spoken. They're like, okay, Dad, whatever you say. You know. it, you're laughing because you know it's not. Now, when Kathy says it, then we are all like, yes, ma'am. Um, right? It works better for her. I have spoken. This is, what, this is what Acts 15 is. It's the Jerusalem Council. We have spoken. The final word has been declared. The Gentiles are in. They do not have to become Jews in order to be saved are part of the family of God. They don't have to become Jewish in order to enter the community. The council here affirms that faith alone rooted in the grace of God, not works, not practicing the law, faith alone in the grace of God, Jesus Christ, is the basis of salvation and inclusion in the community of Christ. So I want to be very careful that we understand that is the point of this passage. Okay? What I want us to do today, and I feel like through that introduction and through where John took us last week, we've established that, we understand that's the main point. I want us to look at this letter that the Jerusalem church wrote to Antioch. Because there's a lot we can learn from them. What the Jerusalem church does here is they give us a master class on what it is to pursue unity and reconciliation in the church. So while not the main point of this passage, I think we would do well to read this letter that they write and learn from it as we seek to keep the main thing, the main thing, the gospel, in the context of a church of broken, sinful people who are going to run into conflict and tensions, but we keep the main thing, the main thing, and we defer to one another the way Jerusalem admirably defers to Antioch here. And I think we would do well in our gospel ministry to learn lessons from this letter. So let's delve into this. The Jerusalem church pursues reconciliation and unity. Verse 22, they considered and did what was good. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church. It seemed good. What this communicates is that they have reached agreement. It implies Thinking. It implies compromise. It implies listening. They worked at this. Right? What we understand from this is conflict isn't always, we always want quick solutions, easy solutions. They worked at this. They compromised. They listened. Sometimes we have to put the time in. Think, listen, compromise. They put effort and thought into what would make things right. Antioch mattered to them. The unity of the church mattered to them. So this is what I would say to us by way of application here. When we find ourselves in the midst of conflict and tension, or when we have been part of an offense, we must take it seriously and put effort into making it right, just like Jerusalem did. We must seek to understand. What I love about this here is that the mother church, Jerusalem, assumes a very humble position here as they seek reconciliation with the Antioch church. They send Barnabas, or Barsabbas and Silas, leading men from their church there in Jerusalem to Antioch, along with Paul and Barnabas. We see this in verse 22. We see it down in the content of the letter in verse 20, 27, where it talks about it again. By the way, this is the same Silas 
who will begin accompanying Paul on missionary journeys, starting with his next missionary journeys. I think the sending of these men is noteworthy. They could have just sent the letter. If you read the the dialogue of the Jerusalem Council in the first half of chapter 15, and you read the letter, it's a very clear representation of what they had stated, what they had decided. The letter was very clear. They could have just sent the letter. And they're sending it with Paul and Barnabas, two trustworthy people who would accurately represent the council's decision. But they go above and beyond by sending two of their own. It would have been cheaper to not have sent these two men. Someone had to pay for their meals and help with their lodging. And it certainly would have been more convenient because now they're going to be without two of their key leaders for a while. right? We see in verse 32 that they're capable prophets and teachers. If Silas was skilled and capable enough to accompany Paul on missionary journeys, we know that this is leaving a hole in the ministry of the Jerusalem church. I mean, think of some of the, uh, the, the, the dynamics here, right? As we're down a staff person and the, the extra work for our deacons and, and elders, uh, you leave a hole there, right? Um, they were creating a hole by sending these men. They sacrificed by sending these men. But what this communicates to me is something noteworthy. It communicates to the Antioch church and the Gentile believers that you are worth the investment. You are worth the investment. It assigns value to them. The ministry of presence was a tangible demonstration of love and affirmation and solidarity. They are communicating that we are with you. There's no division here. And look how they describe Paul and Barnabas. Our beloved Barnabas and Paul. It indicates commonality and shared love for these men. Barnabas and Paul were the Antioch church people. And Jerusalem saying, we value these people. We love the same people that you love. We are together. And this is all keeping with the MO of the early church, right? We know from early on in Acts that they were so concerned, right? They committed to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Relationships and being present with one another was so significant and so important to them. We see that being played out here as they deal with this conflict. Our first trip to Brazil back in in 2002, I remember... Um, as we were planning that trip, Dan pulled me aside. He said, hey, listen, Dan Cook, your missionary, our missionary there in Brazil, he pulled me aside. He said, listen, inevitably, someone is going to make this comment to you. Someone is going to say to you, this is a lot of work. This is a lot of money. Why don't you just add up the amount of money it's taking to send this team to Brazil and write a check and send it instead? That will be more valuable. Dan said, you're going to hear that, and I did Dan looked at me and he said, I want you to look that person in the eye and tell them, I don't want your check. I want you. I want your people. I want relationships. I want them to come down and be here and feel and sense and smell what I smell and love the people I love. I want that ministry of presence. That's why our brothers and sisters serving in the cement region, that's why they love Forest Hills Baptist Church. We don't just send money. With some people, they say, you, you come, you know our names, you know our stories. So when your worship team comes and leads us in worship, you're doing it with knowing who we are. Like, that means so much more to us, that ministry of presence. That's a significant thing. Maybe part of the application here is this, that we apply the ministry of presence in our own ministry here, especially when there has been tension. Maybe part of the application of this is that we take time to be face-to-face with one another. 
and when there's been conflict and disagreement, that we deal with it face to face, right? Not via text or email, right? Screens are for the communication of information, not for conflict resolution, not for emotions. We deal with things face to face. The other thing the sending of these men does is it communicates the significance and sincerity of the message. Right? It says in verse 27, they're going to tell you the same thing. Same thing as what? Same thing that's in the letter. They're going to read the letter, and then these men are going to tell you the same thing. It was important that this key message be communicated and received correctly. Right? The ramifications, and this isn't an overstatement, the ramifications of the council's decision in the letter of Acts 15 would change history. And they have. This was a history-changing decision. It changed the game. And it had to be communicated well. And that's part of the reason why they send the men as well. I love this. They communicate as equals. Verse 23. You note that? The apostles and the people from Jerusalem. The brothers here send this to the brothers there. I love that. There's no sense of superiority. It's not, we are Jerusalem And you are our little church plant. No, this is, we are brothers, and we're sending this to the brothers. It's an attitude of humility, which contributes to unity, right? Back to Brazil for a minute. Uh, several trips ago, I remember the, the, the Dan would, will often bring the staff, his main people, from Brazil up to the States. And since Dan's, Dan's based here in Michigan, they'll spend time, they'll go to some different camps around Michigan. And um, spring... Um, Spring Hill or uh, Lake Ann and some of these other camps. And I remember going down there years ago after one of their trips here. And I noticed something I kept hearing over and over again by some of the staffers there. They're, they're, they, were, they would come up to me in conversation and they'd say, hey, man, like, we're, we're really sorry. that we, we know our camp's not as good as, as this camp. We know that the facilities aren't as great. We don't have this. We don't have that. And they were like apologetic about it. Like they felt bad about it. So finally I'd heard enough of this. And I said to Dan one morning and for the staff meeting, I said, can I, can I say something to the staff? He goes, sure. And I said to them, I said, stop apologizing for not being as good as what we have in Michigan. I said, you're second to nobody. In fact, we probably could send a lot of people from Michigan down here to learn better how to do camp and learn better how to be ministry. But I want to establish that, that we're both doing the same thing. We're not better than you. I love it. Jerusalem does that. Again, they were like, we're the mother church. Can't believe you guys got this wrong or whatever. Brother to brother. I think the application here is to maintain a humble posture when working through issues and conflict. To not be condescending. To value and love and respect you are dealing with a brother or a sister in Christ for whom Jesus died. Sometimes conflict remains because we don't view them with respect and love. I love that Jerusalem does it. They clarified the confusion in verse 24b and in verse 24. They did clarify the confusion. They explained that the message had been unauthorized when these messengers had gone to Antioch. That's pretty easy application, right? A lot of times our conflict is just due to miscommunications, due to misunderstanding. So communicate clearly and also assume the best. Give charitable hearings, right? Don't contribute to confusion by drawing conclusions that are not even true, right? But they go ahead, they clarify the confusion. I love this too. They acknowledge the hurt that they had brought upon the Antioch believers. 
There's a conciliatory tone to this whole letter. They're seeking to undo the damage that had been done. Right? They, they talk about that. These messengers came. They troubled you with these words. They, they unsettled their minds. Brothers from Jerusalem had come and inflicted wounds on brothers in Antioch. They tore them down. The people from Jerusalem had robbed these Gentile believers of their assurance of the gospel and left them confused. Look at the damage done in Galatians. This is from Galatians. Talking about when people from Jerusalem came to Antioch, telling them you have to do this, this, and this as part of the salvation and the gospel. But when Paul, or Peter, Cephas, that's Peter's name there, when Cephas came to Antioch, I, this is Paul, Paul and, and, and Peter had a little tussle there in Antioch over this. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, from the Jerusalem church, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, the Jews. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas, that guy, Barnabas, the one who went on the first missionary journey with Paul, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. See how damaging this was? But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? This was devastating. This had the potential to completely derail the ministry in Antioch and the relationship permanently between Jerusalem and Antioch. It was a problem. I love it that Jerusalem owned it. The problem originated from Jerusalem. Even though it was unauthorized, it had originated from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was going out of its way to repair the the relationship. And I think simply by way of application is this. Instead of offering excuses and respond, you know, and, and blame shifting, sometimes the best and first thing we should do in resolving conflict is own your part in it, even if it's unintentional. I learned this from Jeff early on in ministry. People, someone would come in and meet with us, and they'd be upset about something, and I'm listening to them talk, and I'm like, this person is completely wrong. And they would be completely wrong about the way they had interpreted something or, or whatever. But Jeff would almost always start by going, First off, I just want to say I'm really sorry that that was communicated, or I'm really sorry that, that that's how you, you know, how that, how that, that we communicated that to you, or, or whatever. You know, I'm sitting there in my mind going, what are you doing, man? You're wrong. Let them have it. You know, don't apologize. Don't show weakness. Mercy is for the weak, you know. I, uh, don't do that. You know, I was a jerk. They learned, no, okay. Own our, our part in it, and then go on and clarify and address it from there. Jerusalem does this. Verse 25, then they go on and they communicate their support. It has seemed good to us, having come uh, one accord. Like, this whole thing seemed good to us. They're communicating here that we support you. It's the church. We've all agreed. We've all decided. This is an official decree. We want you to know that you're supported. So I think I can talk about this now because this happened long enough ago. But most of you know that um, my daughter, Carissa, 
a certain young man from this church, kind of like each other, right? <laughs> and for a long time, Chris and Spencer. And um, I remember years ago in high school, um, Chris was just you know, working through things, normal high school stuff, and she friend-zoned Spencer for a little bit. Like, and, um, and I remember going, oh, man, what are we going to do about this? Uh, and, um, and I knew that Spencer was struggling. And now I'm in this weird spot, right, because I'm dad, youth pastor. And I remember going out with Spencer. And uh, I listened to him, and, and I said, listen, bud. I said, I know my daughter. I said, Here's how you got to play this. Just do this, this, and this. But then I told him this. I said, listen, pal, I am on your side. I'm on your side, okay? I want you to know that. I'm on your side. I want him to feel supported by me and loved by me. And that my daughter needed to come back around. She did. I'm on your side. All right, Jerusalem's doing that. We're on your side. We're with you. Love that. They communicate their support. But here's the key thing in all of this. They make this statement, it seemed good to the Spirit. The number one thing that caused them to come together and deal with this in the godly way that they deal with it, dealt with it, and to go on powerfully in gospel ministry is because these people were controlled and characterized by the Holy Spirit of God. And oftentimes in our conflict, what we allow us to control us is our preferences and our feelings and our frustrations. And when we allow that to control us, rather than the Holy Spirit of God, there will never be godly unity. There will never be moving forward in powerful ministry. And that, first and foremost, is what dictated all of this. It seemed good to the Spirit. We need to learn. This must be what controls us. So they seek unity while maintaining fidelity to the gospel. Verse 28. While maintaining fidelity to the gospel. And again, John did a great job last week of painting this picture for us. But again, that's what they're getting at in verse 28. To lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. It's all about the gospel. They maintain fidelity to the gospel. Gentiles are saved, all are saved, by grace through faith in Christ, period. Right? The Holy Spirit is granted to all, period. What Jerusalem is now communicating is that there are no add-ons. You do not have to jump through a series of hoops first or become Jewish in order to be accepted by God. We don't add to the gospel. Ultimately, what Acts 15 is doing, it is fighting for the fidelity of the gospel. I love it that the council clearly called out the false teachers that had went out from among me. It didn't seem to be polite about it. They're wrong. The gospel is at stake. The application point for us here is clear. You don't have to jump through a series of hoops or be good enough for God to accept you. Right? Grace through faith in Christ. They maintain fidelity to the gospel while exhorting the Gentiles to pursue what matters most. So they end this letter with saying, here are some things, though, that you, you need to do. But now we understand these aren't salvation-related thing. These are just now Christian-related things. These are things that we must do as Christians. First of all, don't tangle with idolatry. 
Don't tangle with idolatry. Don't compromise with it. They make the statement, abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. A little bit of a restatement of what was in verse 20 in the conversation in Jerusalem. To abstain, you know, to not be polluted by the things of idolatry. This is clearly a normative principle. Now, we could spend, John and I were talking about this Friday. We could go now and spend an entire class period uh, on taking this and then looking at it in light of Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8. We're not going to get into all that, but do know that Paul does take this issue of meat sacrifice to idols, and he does add some nuances and some other thoughts to it later on in his writings. We don't have time to get into that today, but just understand that at the base of this, what the church is being admonished to do here is to not mingle with idolatry. And that plays well to us today, doesn't it? Right? If Christ is my Savior, if I've embraced the gospel, then I am going to avoid idolatry. And we all have them. Right? right? Mine is record. I love Craig time. I love my Sunday afternoon nap. Right? These are good things, but they can become an idol. I love my sports teams. I can become an idol. You all have them. One of the transcendent principles that comes out of Acts 15 is for the church of Jesus Christ, don't tangle with idolatry. Then he goes into this other thing. Abstain from blood and what has been strangled. What does that mean? No more prime rib? I hope not. This seems to have more to do with making concessions for the sake of unity. Right? The Jews still had their food loss. And while they weren't being put forward as things necessary for salvation, some of these things still mattered deeply to the Jews. It's part of their identity. And I think what's going on here with the blood and the thing strangled is communicating what would more easily allow for tables fellowship between Jews and Gentiles. It's about fellowship. It's about unity. Right? Fellowship had become one of the issues. We saw that in the Galatians passage. If you go to Romans 14, you see that's, that's one of the issues there is a lack of unity. I think that's one of the things, the underlying principles here of what they're getting at. One commentator, uh, Peterson, uh, from the, uh, the Pillar Commentary series, writes this. The council challenged the Antioch believers to exercise their liberty with wisdom, restraint, and love, recognizing the concerns of some Jewish Christians about contamination through any association with religious practices. Right? I think the application here is that sometimes we're willing to set aside our rights for what's best for a brother. For what's best for the community, what's best for the body of Christ. Daryl Bach writes that we need to handle diversity with discernment and deference and mutual respect to one another. He goes on to write one of the questions this is answering is how can law observing Jewish Christians and law ignoring Gentiles coexist? These weren't issues of salvation. Paul would not have gone along with it if these were issues of salvation. These are just issues. Christianity and following Jesus. Purity, common peace. These transcend the law. I was thinking back uh, when I was in Ukraine years ago, we were going out to a village uh, one day, and they were gonna, this village was going to feed us. We had a pretty big team there. And I remember our leaders on the bus on the way out to this village, they said to us, Listen, we don't know what's going to be on the table for dinner. We don't know what they're going to serve you. But here's what we do know. You will eat whatever they put on that table. And, you know, we're like, oh, no. 
one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. Still, to this day, pierces my heart to think of, I don't even know what that meal cost those people. But they went all out, and it was wonderful. And I, I remember that meal to this day. Same thing when I was traveling for Cedarville. Right? That was one of the things that the, the directors, when you're on these traveling teams, they're like, you're going to be in people's homes, people's churches. If you're in someone's home and they put something in front of you, you're going to eat it. And if you're a picky eater, you either don't travel for Cedarville or you eat it and go throw up later. But you will eat it. Right? So we used to have fun with this, by the way. We had a guy, my senior year, the team I was on, we had a guy, Jerry, who's a freshman. Pick on freshman, right, little brother. And he hated onions. And, like, we'd be eating. We'd have our salad there or whatever. And, like, the host would leave or turn around. And we'd take our onions and put them on Jerry's plate. Uh, I know. I know. I, I don't do that type of thing anymore. Um, <laughs> but I used to. And then going back and forth. There's one night, this, late, this dear lady, I don't know what she, uh, she filled us these glasses of milk. I mean, and they would gla- and I'm like, oh, we just... And as after concerts, it was like 10 o'clock at night. So we drank the milk. And we didn't, she didn't even ask where she came. And she just refilled them all. And I'm like, oh. you know, drank it. I made the mistake of getting up to go to the bathroom, which is understandable at this point, right? And um, I come out. Guess what my teammates had told the lady while I was in the bathroom? He asked for another glass of milk. I had a third one. I had to tank the thing, right? But we didn't want to offend. We were eating what was there. So we wouldn't offend. I think that's what they're getting at here. Now it's about fellowship. Doing what's best. Sometimes I do things for what's best for the community. My wife, on a Saturday, she's awesome about this. There'll be a baby shower for a young mom. My wife will come every time. And sometimes it's inconvenient. Yep. But you know what she always says? She's like, I want to encourage that young mom. I'm going to sacrifice a couple hours out of my day to encourage that young mom, right? That's the kind of thing it looks like. Deference to one another. And the last one is abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from sexual immorality, right? This is the easy one in there, very clear. Probably brought it up because it was so prevalent in the culture, particularly in a context like Antioch, where there were temple prostitutes and so on, right? We know from Corinth that sexual sin was able to infiltrate the church due to the believer's pasts and the cultural pressures they faced. I don't think I need to stand up here today and and try to convince you that really the same thing happens today. We deal with it today, right? The message from Scripture, the word pornea here, is the word that's used. It's a broad term, broader than just adultery. It includes all kinds of sexual immorality. So it includes one man and one woman in the context of marriage. It includes... Pornography. It includes the entertainment that we put in front of us and the way we dress and so on. We must pursue purity. This is always an issue, these things. Don't tangle with idolatry, love each other well, and stay away from sexual immorality, right? That's why you see in places like Revelation, right? the letters to the seven churches, avoid food sacrificed to idols. Avoid the practice of sexual immorality. These requirements, by the way, are not burdens, but obligations. You get to do these things, I think is part of what Jerusalem Church is saying here. And the conclusion of this is joy, unity, and ongoing ministry. Joy and unity and ongoing ministry. The people rejoiced and were comforted because of the letter's encouragement. By the way, rejoicing showed that they didn't view the requirements as burdens. 
They understood what Jerusalem church was saying in these things. Yes, this makes sense. This is how we're to live. They didn't view these as heavy burdens, but as things they were supposed to do. For Sabbath and Silas, they stay on in verse 32 and they encourage with many words. This was a sign of solidarity. They invested. This was not a token visit. And then the fact that the Antioch believers who had been so unsettled and troubled blessed Barsabbas and Silas with blessings of peace when they left, demonstrating no lingering ill will or bitterness for what had been caused by the Jerusalem church. I love this because we tend to hang on, right? Well, you really bother me. You really hurt me. I'm going to hang on to this a little bit longer. Antioch said, no. Bless you. I'm going to show you a terrible picture. You're not going to be able to unsee it. For some of you who are rabid fans, it's going to bother you, okay? You may have to cover the eyes of your children. Oh. That is the University of Michigan quarterback, Devin Gardner, taking a knee down beside J.T. Barrett, quarterback from the Ohio State, who broke his leg on the play right before this. Devin Gardner showed a lot of class here. Right now, it wasn't about two schools. It's a quarterback to a quarterback, a football player to a football player coming over. Look at it. He's got his hand on his face. That shows that Michigan, Ohio State can, you know. <laughs> I love this. There's something that transcends a rivalry. It's about concern. I love it. It's a person. Hmm. I asked our worship team to come back up. The one thing is the gospel. Everything else serves this. So we serve each other. We seek peace and unity for the sake of the gospel. It's crazy when you consider what Jerusalem gave up here, what they were willing to surrender. Not truth, not aspects of the gospel, but things that they held dear to them in their identity and so on, but saying, no, we release these things because they don't have to do with the gospel and we release them in deference to our brothers. How beautiful it is, this psalm says, when brothers dwell in unity. That picture, this picture, I'll close with this. It's one of my favorite shots. This was our last trip to Brazil. And you really can't catch all the nuances of it, but I sat back. This was the banquet, the last night we're there, and I sat back at this table, and I looked around, and there's gringos, that's us, and Brazilians sitting there laughing, smiling. You could hear it. It just sounded joyful. And I'm like, this is a picture of the kingdom. Table fellowship between people who have a lot of differences. If I did anything that would hurt that or hinder that, man, that would be heavy. This is what we seek. This is what Jerusalem sought with her brothers and sisters in Antioch. Be willing to do what you got to do for what matters most. We don't compromise on truth. We keep the main thing the main thing.